This is Scott, host of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast and Black author. You could get all three of my books. My first book, Systematic Racism and Capitalism, Alliance of Oppression. My second book, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy. And my third book, my first novel, Exodus 2035, all available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can download the Kindle app to your smartphone or tablet, and you can access those products. Thanks for listening. Um, don't forget you and you network. You can find that on Instagram, you and you underscore network, where you can find all the shows uh, under the you and you network. Shout out to the you and you network. You know what I'm saying? And all those podcasts that's on you and you network. Think for the you and you network. The head brothers at you and you network. You can check out the socials at you a n d u underscore network black boy ah! I don't wanna hurt nobody. We just came here to party. See a few dames exchange some names. I'm a top shot, the kid stay in your lane. The cop shot the kid, same old same. Pour out a little liquor, champagne for pain. Slap boxing in the street. Crack the hygiene in the heat. The cop cars on the creek. Doing they roundups, we just watch for the sweet. Yeah, it's hotter than July. It's the summer when niggas die. It's the summer when niggas ride. Together we'll be strong, but forever we divide. So y'all are blowing my high. Type of shit that's killing my vibe. White kids are brought it alive. Black kids get hit with like five. Get scared, you panic, you going down. The disadvantages of the brown. How in the hell the parents gonna bury their own kids, not the other way around? Reminds me of Emmett Till. Let's remind him why Cat kneels. Tim, KSHB 41 obtaining body-worn camera video in the shooting death of a former police detective. Lionel Womack was shot and killed by a fellow Kansas City, Kansas police officer in November. As Caitlin Canute explained, authorities say officers opened fire when that suspect kept driving his minivan toward them. Tonight, Wellington police released body camera video of the shooting that put two officers on leave. And here it is. You can see the man. Akron police were involved in yet another shooting last night. It's an arrest of a Mid-South man and the medical care he needed afterwards. Thanks for joining us this evening. I'm Joe Burke. I'm Joy Redmond. The arrest happened Saturday in Oakland, Tennessee in Fayette County. And according to the affidavit, Oakland police arrested 25-year-old Brandon Calloway after they say he did not stop at a stop sign and refused to stop for officers. The confrontation between Calloway and the officers ended with Calloway bloodied and in need of stitches. Action News 5's Bria Bolden shares what the young man's attorney said this evening and a response from police. Bria. Yeah, well, Joy, Brandon's attorney believes the type of car he was driving made police pull him over. Now, we want to warn our viewers tonight, the video and images you're about to see are disturbing. All over a what purported to be and what is alleged to have been a traffic violation, uh, which turns into a um, head injuries, hospitalization, and um, significant pain and suffering. 
This is 25-year-old Brandon Calloway today, healing. But attorney Andre Wharton says he's still in pain. According to a police affidavit, this all started Saturday after Oakland police say Callaway drove through a stop sign. Police said Callaway was also clocked for speeding, 32 in a 20-mile-per-hour zone, leading officers to initiate a traffic stop. But they say Callaway would not pull over. We have not watched the squad car, dash car cam to see when they actually activated their lights, blue lights and sirens, but they followed him for a while. At some point, they initiated their lights and sirens. Eventually, the pursuit ended at a home on Laurel Glen Drive, where police say Callaway ran inside. Brandon obviously was trying to figure out, hey, what, what's going on here? Why are you all following me? I'm not violating the law. Uh, they commenced to speaking with Brandon or trying to speak to him. He's clueless as to why they continue to pursue him when he didn't believe he had done anything wrong. When officers concluded that Callaway needed to be detained, they say he ran from him inside the house. Officers say they kicked in two doors, used a taser and a baton to take him into custody. Brandon, stop resisting! Brandon, just stop resisting! Tony, just stop! Just stop! No! Just get on the ground! Get on the ground, Brandon! Get on the ground! Just remaining hopeful that, you know, what happened to him will come to light and that Oakland will acknowledge it, Oakland police and the town of Oakland, and that, that his story will, will serve as an example for other police departments and other officers who are trying to do the good work of protecting and serving citizens. So. And police charged Callaway with evading arrest, resisting disorderly conduct, failing to stop at a stop sign, and speeding. We reached out to the Oakland Police Department for an interview or comment on this story. The police chief told us they had no comment. We're also working to obtain police dash cam video and body-worn camera video of the incident. In studio. Welcome back to another episode of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. Everybody should be following me on Instagram at Unprocessed underscore knowledge you should also be following the UNU network on Instagram at U-A-N-D-U underscore network catch up with all the shows you can find links to all of the programs there putting out content all the time getting you through your week if this show is listener supported if you would like to donate to this show hit the link tree in the bio best way to do that if you'd like to access any of the books that I've written on Amazon.com. Best way to do that is also through the link tree in my bio. As you just finished hearing, 25-year-old Brandon Calloway down in Oakland, Tennessee, beaten by the police, hospitalized, traumatized, in pain to this day. Why? Because he was going, well, accused of not stopping at a stop sign. And going a whopping, a mind-blowing 32 miles an hour in a 20 zone. 32 miles an hour. Isn't that fast? Once again, a routine traffic stop. Mr. Stop sign. Going 32 in a 20 zone. Police followed him to his house. Kicked in two doors and beat this young man nearly to death. Here's the thing. Officer says they went into pursuit because he blew a stop sign. He was speeding, going up, you know, a mind blowing 32 miles an hour. So they follow him. He runs into he runs into the home. 
why not just put the speeding ticket on his dash and and you know call it a day you know where you live at you said you wanted to give him a speeding ticket you said he blew a stop sign give him the ticket and go on about his way and somehow and i've heard this my entire life there's some type of myth amongst i think black people specifically there's some type of myth amongst us where if if the police are chasing you if they're trying to give you a speeding ticket or something like that if you run into a house or if you like pop pull inside the driveway somehow they they can't follow you like there's some type of magical law that if 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 you pull in the driveway or run into a house then they have to stop chasing you that's a lie is that's just been debunked because down in tennessee they kicked in two doors to beat this young man to death over a 32 mile an hour speeding ticket and blowing a stop sign i mean the over policing the downright brutality the brute force for any minor infraction when it comes to black people is ridiculous let's get into the history of it people intuit and and commonsensically understand that uh as a system of violent control over human beings slavery required uh, the use of violence to control people and so for uh, the entire period going back to the mid 1600s and to the early 1700s colony after colony from new york and massachusetts to south carolina uh, and virginia passed a series of uh, of black codes or negro acts various laws that were designed to empower everyday white citizens uh, with the responsibility and let me be clear the duty to serve in an official capacity uh, to surveil monitor to track and when caught to dispense corporal punishment against enslaved african people in the colonies it was the largest bureaucracy dedicated to a form of policing uh, that we recognize today and it was everywhere in the colonies by the time the nation was born uh, in 1790 while there were gradual abolition laws that took root in many northern colonies uh, the antebellum experience of free blacks was little different what went from a slave patrol became the responsibility of a growing cohort of modern police officers. And this problem from slavery to freedom simply changed uniform and changed um, the instruments and tools uh, of keeping track of people of African descent. Uh, and it, it expanded in the United States of America. But there's another part of this history that I think is really important. And that is that policing in the broadest sense was always about policing the essential workers of this society. And this is true in societies and countries all over the globe. And what do I mean by essential workers? Meaning the people who are at the bottom of the society, their freedom has always been constrained by more privileged and more elite, and in this country, whites. Now, whites, of course, range in class. And so one of the ironies is that both poor whites in many parts of the country were policed, especially when they challenged political authority, when they challenged economic inequality. But at the same time, they were able to join police forces. By the 1840s and 1850s, uh, we see Irish Americans beginning to uh, both make their way in America, but also begin to join the police force. They direct their um, a reflection of a racial and class hierarchy and also a way of giving power to groups that feel like they don't have access to the top of the American economy. So policing is a reflection of a tremendous 
disorder in our economic system. It is a reflection of racial hierarchies that are deeply entrenched in our in our society. And when we see FOP uh, or union leaders uh, represented by working class white men, partly they have been empowered to define the profession as their own, not as a reflection of liberal democratic norms and universal ideas, but it is their profession. Uh, so for me, to talk about the history of policing is also to talk about the history of white supremacy and racial capitalism in the United States of America. The, that's the point of it all. The point of it all is to keep you Negroes in check and to beat you nearly to death for any minor infraction for anything. That's the purpose. That's why we have all these incidents. That's why we have all these situations concerning black people specifically and the police. You don't hear story after story after story of this happening to white people. You don't hear story after story after story of police kicking in white people's doors and beating the hell out of them because they were going 32 and 32 miles an hour in the 20 zone. You can go on YouTube and you can see video of white people chasing police officers, pulling guns on police officers, threatening police officers, yelling at police officers. They don't get shot. They don't get beat up. There's a video right now of a white man threatening to kill a police officer and he, he takes off running after him and the police officer runs away R- runs away is begging the person to stop begging the person to leave him alone <laughs> that's on youtube right now the interaction is different the interaction is different because the purpose is to keep your black behind in your place let's go to another story the police officer who shot and killed Tamir Rice in 2014, Timothy Lohman, he got another job working as a cop. This story is from two weeks ago, July 8th, courtesy of the New York Times. Two days after Timothy Lohman, the former Cleveland police officer who shot and killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice in 2014, was sworn in as a police officer for a rural Pennsylvania county. He left the position in the borough of Toga. It came after a public outcry in response to an article that revealed his hiring. David Wilcox, the mayor of Toga, appeared on Wednesday at a community protest against Mr. Loman's hiring, claiming he had no knowledge of Mr. Loman's past. He he pretty much just played ignorant, y'all. He showed up and was like, oh, I... I didn't know. Tamir Marks? What? That was him? Oh my goodness. I, just, I had anything about it. Did, pff, didn't know anything about it. He stood atop a pickup truck and told residents that he had zero knowledge of the candidate that he just hired for the police department. He said, I was told that there was an extensive background check, numerous phone calls made, and there was no negative marks on his record, and that he would be a great candidate for this town. So that's what the mayor said. The mayor said, hey, we checked his references. We made calls. Nobody said anything negative about this guy. I had no idea this is the same cop who shot Tamir Rice in 2014. Y'all remember Tamir Rice? That 12-year-old child in Cleveland who was playing with a toy in the park. And the police rolled up on him, shot and killed him in less than three seconds. This is that police officer. In 2014, Mr. Loman, who was white, who fatally shot Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old who was holding a pellet gun outside a recreational center in Cleveland, 
video of the incident shows Mr. Loman firing within two seconds. I just said that of when his patrol car pulled up next to the child. The Cleveland Police Department fired this guy in 2017. Now, mind you, Tamir Rice got shot and killed in 2014. The Cleveland Police Department didn't fire him until 2017. And the reason they fired him was because once he went under investigation for the Tamir Rice shooting, they found out he lied on his job application for the police force. A discovery the department said it made after officials began investigating his conduct and the shooting he had failed to disclose why he resigned from a previous role at a department in Independence, Ohio. Supervisors there said they had recommended his termination specifically because he had an inability to emotionally function. And they cited several examples of lying and insubordination. So he got fired from his role as a police officer in Independence, Ohio, went and got a job in Cleveland, shot and killed Tamir Rice. Three years later, he got fired from that job because they found out that he lied on his job application. And check this out. Mr. Loman was made at least one, has made at least one other attempt to work as a police officer in 2018. He was hired by a police department in a small Ohio village for a part-time position. The Bel Air Police Department to hire Mr. Loman set off protests and was condemned by Tamir Rice's mother, Samara Rice, and he had to quit that job. So this guy, he, after the killing of Tamir Rice, took him three years to get fired, and then he's just been getting several other jobs working as police officers in different spots. Most recently, Pennsylvania. Let me tell you what this guy's eventually going to do. Eventually, he's going to change his name. And he's going to move a little further out. Probably down south or Midwest. And then he'll just get another police officer job down there. Hoping people are not going to connect the dots and figure out who he really is. They really don't get fired. They get transferred. It is incredible. He, is, he was able to get two other jobs working as a cop after the killing of Tamir Rice. And mind you, like the story said, he didn't even get fired for shooting and killing Tamir Rice. He got fired for lying on his job application. The police were well, responding to happen, a call about a broken fire like hydrant when they pulled over the suspect here, here on Timid Deer like Lane. The officers apparently mistook the suspect's safety orange wallet for a gun and shot at him 118 times and beat him. Woodcrest isn't a place where people dwell in the past and focus on the negative like who shot at who 118 times or who cracked whose ribcage. That's all media hype. A racially charged and expletive-laced audio recording leads to the firing of Lexington's top cop. During a special called meeting, the Board of Aldermen vote to fire Sam Dobbins. Arena Science' Quentin Smith has the tales from that meeting and reaction from the community. Lexington city leaders spent more than an hour in executive session discussing this issue. The board voted three to two to fire Dobbins effective immediately. It's a decision many say is a sigh of relief. 
terminate Chief Sam Dobbins from the position of Chief of Police with the city of Lexington. This is the news that many in Lexington were hoping to hear. Today, the community of Lexington, Mississippi received justice. The board made its decision just days after former Lexington police officer Robert Lee Hooker released an audio recording from April. He says the conversation is between him and Dobbins, who at the time was his police chief. Hooker accuses Dobbins of creating a stressful and toxic work environment. I just got to the point where you're not doing the people right, you're not doing me right, so therefore let me expose you for what you are, who you are. And that's how it happened. We obtained the audio. In the recording, Hooker says you can hear Dobbins using the N-word. Let me explain something to you. Come on. You're going to get in some in the street. There's only going to be one man fighting for you. All right? Yeah. That's going to be me. Okay? Don't ever ruin that. All right? Because these other they're let you as well as him speaking about people he's shot and killed as an officer. I killed 13 men in my career. Okay? Justified. Huh? Ooh. In my career, I have shot and killed in the line of duty 13 different people. You just shot so many Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Justified, bro. Okay. Ask around. They, 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 they ain't gonna tell you no. I got a big corn shootout, man. A cornfield over there. Jimmy Dale Thomas, he worked it. Justified, bro. I shot that a black police officer is recording the white police chief and his interaction with him and you can hear the white police chief basically say look when it comes down to it these niggas gonna let you down I'm the only one we can count on. <laughs> he goes on to brag about how he has shot and killed 13 different people in his career. And he's telling the black officer, look, if you get into it out there on the street, he said, I don't care if you shoot and kill a nigga in cold blood. You come to me and I'm the only person in this in this police department who's smart enough to write it up and justify it and make it seem like it was a justified shoot. Don't worry about it. I done shot and killed 13 people. I just told you, right? He goes on to tell him a story like, hey. You know that nigga down by the cornfield? Shot his ass, lit his ass up 119 times. 119 bullets. That that was me. Ask, ask around about me, bro. Ask around about me. I'm a certified killer. <laughs> so when you get into some BS out there on the street and you have to, you know, shoot and kill a nigga, come to me and I'll make sure you get away with it. That's what he's saying. And he, he, you heard him in the clip. He's the one who said, I'm the only one smart enough in this department to write it up and get it approved and justified. Ask around about me. I got your back. Just make sure you shoot and kill the niggers though. Don't you put it on, 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 on the white people. That's what's going on in these police departments. I like to point out. Not ignorance. Not ignorance. He said I'm the only one here smart enough to make sure you get away with it. That ain't ignorance. And the black police officer recorded him. Because he said this has gone on for far too long. It's the hostile work environment. He called black people niggas. He talked about how many black people he done shot and killed. I can't work in this environment. Let me expose this police chief for who he really is. I call that black self-respect. But is anybody surprised? Is anybody shocked? That Those are the conversations that's, that's being had in these police departments. That's what's going on. And he goes on to say, I don't give a F 
if you kill a nigra in cold blood, I will articulate to justify and fix the problem. That should be a mic. I, I can end the show right there. I should just drop the mic, drop a bomb on it, and just end it. <laughs> but let's move on. Return of Roe versus Wade, abortion is already or soon will be illegal in more than half the country, which means pregnancy outcomes will be increasingly regulated, not by healthcare professionals, but by law enforcement. NPR Sandia Dirks reports. Haley McMahon has been watching the response to the end of abortion rights, and she keeps hearing the same phrase. You can't ban abortion, only safe abortion. McMahon studies abortion access, and she says while women will certainly die because of the Supreme Court's decision, this idea of women dying from back alley abortions is stuck in the past. It is true for the pre-Roe period, but not necessarily for the post-Roe period. That's because medicine has advanced. Now there are self-managed abortions, pills people take to safely terminate a pregnancy from home. That's why she says the symbol of this moment is not wire hangers. The really significant concern is about the legal dangers of self-managed abortion. A more accurate symbol might be prison bars. Our country in the past 50 years has decided that the police state is the way to respond to public health crises, to mental health crises, to poverty. That's Dana Sussman with National Advocates for Pregnant Women, NAPW. They represent women who are facing charges related to losing a pregnancy. The mother is blamed for the pregnancy loss and then criminalized for that loss without really any science or medicine backing it up. Sussman says in a lot of places, this criminalization of pregnancy has already been happening. There's two factors behind that. One, a raft of post-Roe feticide laws enacted over the past few decades, which made a fetus a new kind of crime victim. These laws were passed ostensibly to protect pregnant people who are extra vulnerable to domestic violence. But Sussman says that's not what happened. What these laws are then used for is actually to criminalize the pregnant person herself. And in fact, these laws don't make pregnant people any safer. The second factor was the war on drugs, which ushered in our current era of mass incarceration and spread dangerous narratives, especially about black people, like the idea that black women were giving birth to a generation of so-called crack babies, an entirely fictional racist myth. The first experiment in this area were primarily drug-using black women who were charged with crimes in relationship to their fetuses, child abuse, child neglect, they were charged when their babies were born healthy or when they lost the pregnancy from likely natural causes. UC Irvine law professor Michelle Goodwin, who wrote the book Policing the Womb, says it's not because black women were using drugs at higher rates than white women. The result was that black women who suffered from stillbirths were being policed and ultimately were being arrested. In 1989, at the Medical University of South Carolina, staff working in concert with local law enforcement started drug testing pregnant women that they deemed suspicious without their knowledge. Over the course of five years, 30 women were arrested for things like child abuse. Every one of the arrests were all black women with the exception of one patient. And on her medical chart, the nurse who was in charge wrote, lives with Negro boyfriend. That's by no means an isolated case. Goodwin calls it symptomatic of the new Jane Crow. 
in the 80s and 90s. A black woman was 10 times more likely to be reported to police and social services on matters related to her pregnancy than were white women. Data collected by NAPW says to this day, the people most prosecuted for issues during pregnancy are poor rural women of color. And it's not just about drug use. In 2010 in Indiana, a Chinese immigrant named Bebe Shui was pregnant when she tried to commit suicide. She survived. The baby did not. She was charged with attempted feticide and murder. Here's NAPW's Dana Sussman again. Attempting suicide is, of course, not criminal behavior. Sussman points out that in most states, using drugs is also not illegal. All of a sudden, the state can charge you with crimes that do not exist if you were not pregnant. And now Sussman says a lot more women will be forced into pregnancy. And there's no way to tell the difference between self-managed abortions and miscarriages. What I anticipate is that prosecutors will sweep in anyone who is experiencing a pregnancy loss that they deem, quote, suspicious. And Black women are twice as likely to experience miscarriage and stillbirth than white women. Abortion researcher Haley McMahon says there are still things that can be done to curb the criminalization of pregnancy. I continue to be flabbergasted that we are not having a a national conversation about decriminalizing self-managed abortion. We live in a police state, and that's all of us. Man, woman, and child. No one is exempt. They are creating new ways to come after our pregnant women. They are creating new ways to oppress black people. You heard it. This ain't crazy Scott making it up. That was from NPR. That clip courtesy of NPR. That's not me just making things up. That's not me just pulling things out of thin air. That was a professor from UC Irvine. Think about what you just heard. They are going to, they are criminalizing a black woman being pregnant. They have been doing it since the 80s. Calling police on black women. Black mothers. Having them thrown in prison for things that aren't even crimes today. Weren't even crimes back then, to be completely honest with you. Wow, that was a lot to unpack. Here's the point. They had, we live in a police state, man, woman, and child. We talked about Tamir Rice getting killed by the police. We talked about black men being nearly beaten to death by the police. We talked about black women being destroyed by the police. We live in a police state. They are going to start creating new ways to throw black women in prison. If you even try to get an abortion in these states that are criminalizing it. If you even try to get a plan B, if you even try to do something, they are going to make sure they throw your black behind in prison. Be very careful. Be very careful. Now, I've been beating up on the police this entire show. For years, actually, if you've been a dedicated listener to the show. If, if you follow me back to you and your podcast for years, and I know what you're saying. Oh, Scott, it's a thankless job. They put their lives in danger. They're public servants. They're here to serve the community. They're here to, you know, protect our rights and freedoms as citizens. Really.
County now, where sheriff's deputies will soon be feeling the effects of what's going on in Kenley with the police department resignations there. WREL has now obtained all eight resignation letters from the employees there and the police officers. They cite a hostile work environment with the town manager and stress, among other things. WREL's Chelsea Donovan is in Kenley Force tonight with the new information we've learned since we broke this story last night. What do we know? Dan, so the mayor and the town council are the ones responsible for hiring the town manager. However, none of them responded to any of my emails, calls, or texts to shed light on the questions that are rippling through this town and what's going to happen after the entire police force leaves. It's known as Friendly Kenley. I love the small town atmosphere. A quaint town of around 2,000 residents where everybody who strolls down these streets knows your name and... Where everybody knows your business. That business, a sudden mass exodus of the entire police force, including the chief and two of the town employees. What's going on here that we don't know about? Chief Josh Gibson at the helm of the force for two decades, one of seven putting in a resignation letter. Gibson alluding to a hostile work environment since town manager Justine Jones was hired last month. WRAL has obtained the resignation letters from Chief Gibson, many of his officers, Sharon Evans, town clerk, and Christy Thomas, utility clerk, all put in yesterday. Utility clerk Christy Thomas writes, due to the current situations and stress, I will not let myself be around that kind of atmosphere. Chief Josh Gibson says, due to a hostile work environment now present in the town of Kenley, I do not believe progress is possible. We asked Justine Johnson about the letters today and said she couldn't talk as it's a personnel matter. WRAL has learned Jones sued her previous employer, Richland County, South Carolina, for gender and racial discrimination after she was terminated in 2015. She alleges hostile treatment by county leaders and retaliation for reporting bad behavior. The lawsuit case was voluntarily dismissed. Just three part-time officers now patrolling these streets is of great concern to longtime residents and business owners. It's very scary to think that that is a significant amount of security for a small town. Now, town attorney Chip Hewitt speaking out today. He says, quote, we just learned about this yesterday. It affects the entire police department and staff members. We were looking, we are looking rather at having an emergency special meeting to figure out how to move forward with. So down in Kenley, North Carolina, the entire police force put quit. The entire police force gave their resignation. Let's give some context here. Kenley, North Carolina is a very small town in North Carolina, as you heard, about 2,000 residents. The entire police force is white, and they hired a black town manager. Right after they hired the black town manager, who is over the police force, the entire white police force quit. And I'm quoting, and this is courtesy of Inside Edition, North Carolina. Questions have arisen after the entire police staff and two town clerks in a North Carolina town turned in their resignations, alleging a newly hired town clerk has created a hostile work environment. The entire staff of the police department and two town clerks in the North Carolina town of Kenley turned in their resignation letters after officers alleged a hostile work environment had had arisen about 
one month after the appointment of a black woman as town manager. The North Carolina town, which serves nearly 2,000 people, is now without any full-time police officers. No specific examples of hostilities were ever noted in the staff's resignation letters. Some residents say they believe the discord is due to the fact that the newly hired town manager, Justine Jones, <coughs> Justine Jones is black, and all of the officers who resign are white. Here is a direct quote from one of the residents of Kenley, North Carolina, and I'm quoting. They don't want to be led by anybody black. That's Kenley. Kenley resident Cynthia Kirby told, told the news and observer. They're always harassing, harassing black people. It's racial. Another town resident. Christine McGold said, and I quote, the officers have been here over 20 years. This woman comes in and I have a lot to say, but I can't. McGold told the news. She sued Virginia. She sued Carolina. South Carolina. And I wouldn't doubt if she sues us. For racial discrimination. Jones has been on the job for about a month. Previously served as a manager of research and assistant director of gender and racial discrimination in Richmond County, South Carolina before she sued her employer thereafter allegedly receiving hostile treatment and retaliation for reporting bad behavior as reported in the news clip. So this woman, Justine Jones, who was qualified for the job of town manager at McKinley, apparently uh, exudes a lot of black, black, self black self-respect and she has sued South Carolina and she also sued Virginia for racial discrimination retaliation creating hostile work environment and she comes to this small town who, whose all-white police force is known for harassing as black residents and she, apparently she does something to the effect of t letting the officers know like hey that won't be tolerated here racial discrimination terrorizing black people those practices won't be tolerated here the entire police force quit i'm not making this up i said this previously in too many situations, the main motivating factor of these white men joining the police force is to terrorize black people and get away with it legally. The entire police force in Kenley, North Carolina just quit because a black woman became their boss and she said, we're not going to participate and racial discrimination in our police and policing here and they up and quit all that other stuff went out the window all that public service and you know making the seats straight safe for the citizens and you know protecting people's rights and making sure law and order nope well mm, guess you're not gonna have a police department then if we can't harass the niggers <laughs> oh mm. <laughs> if we can't harass the niggers we'll just we, we, we'll just up and leave uh, go get a job for Uber Eats or something UPS. UPS is hiring, I heard. <laughs> Not gonna have no nigger woman come in here and tell me what to do. Been on the force twenty years harassing these niggers. You think you're gonna put a nigger woman above me telling me I can't I can't <laughs> oh okay. What is the hostile work environment? Was what was she in there, you know, telling telling the officers how they can uh shoot people in cold blood and get away with it? Is is that what she was doing? Maybe that did did she pull up uh Blasting the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. Did, did, did she 
come to the office dressed in red, black, and green with a with a natural out, talking about black power. I doubt it. Here's what she did. She told that racist police force that she will not tolerate racial profiling and discrimination in their policing, and they all quit. That's what they think about law and order. That's what they think about serving the community. That's what they think about, you know, protecting the citizens of this town and make sure justice gets served. Nah, not really. They put a black woman over this racist police force. And I'm calling it a racist police force because that's what the black citizen in McKinley said. And I'll take her word for it. And they all resigned. Once again, this has been another episode of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. Thanks for listening. Problems. And I'm the only man in the business here that's smart enough to do it.